Amen. Asha, do me a favor and go to the second verse of Good, Good Father. Notice something when it was up there. Sometimes we just sing through this stuff. Like we're just riding in the car singing pop songs. These are songs of worship. And we ought to know what we're singing about. That song the choir did, the old faithful hymns of the blood. All about Jesus Christ who paid it all. Right down to the last song, it's all about him. But I want you to notice the words of this song. I've been searching for answers far and wide. Would you all agree that we all feel like that from time to time? But I know we're all searching for answers only you can provide. Because you know just what we need before we even say a word. I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And I will do my dead level best to cover half this book as quick as I possibly can. But it's a running story. It's a running narrative. And we need to see all these aspects in the first few chapters. And I've just lifted out a few and not out of context, but in context about the life of Israel and Nehemiah in, in view of it. Let me ask you, are you tired of the world you're living in? Uh, by the way, we survived. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, some knucklehead uh, claiming to be a biblical numerologist. If anybody ever says that they're into numbers in the Bible, uh, say, nice to meet you and go get you a cup of coffee. Uh, when they get into secret Bible codes and stuff, God's word's very clear, okay? Now, it's hidden to those who reject him. But for those who seek him, and see, he said, they, sh they shall find me. He says that in Jeremiah 29. That if we trust in him with all our heart, he'll lead us in his paths of righteousness. He said, let all things be done decently in order and in order that God is not the author of confusion. God does not dangle uh, his truth on a string like a carrot stick trying to get us to dive at it. Someone claimed yesterday was going to be the end of the world. Uh, you know, it's one thing for the Mayans to say that. Well, we're five years removed from that. Five years and three days to be exact. And... Uh, then they claimed yesterday was going to be the end. Jehovah's Witnesses have claimed it for over 100 years. They finally learned their lesson because when they did it in the mid-70s, uh, after having done it in 1935 and several other times, they lost half their congregations because they said, you know, that whole idea of, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And they're like, you know... There's something to the fact that there's nothing to what you say. And so they all left. So we have survived another day. Another day to hear professional billionaire athletes complain about the flag. Another day to hear the president complain about the athletes who are complaining about the police. 
another day to listen to all the rhetoric of the alt-right and the uh, Antifa crowd. Another day to listen to the LGBT claiming they have all the rights about everything else. It's another day to hear the ultra-conservatives say, everybody else is going to die and go to hell if you don't do it exactly the way I do it and dress like me and act like me and follow like me. It's another day of the charlatans who continue to preach a false doctrine and a false Jesus. It's another day of it. And I, for one, am tired of it. I'm tired of hearing, oh, well, let's just all get along. I'm tired of you just need to be tolerant. I'm tired of hearing, oh, y'all Christians, you just don't understand what compromise is. I know one thing about compromise. Jesus, looking down from heaven, left his throne above, gave up that throne for a moment to be made lower than the angels, to die for my sins. Not that we should continue in sin, but that grace may abound in our lives. Tired. Tired. I, listen, I've told you this. I was a news junkie. Not anymore. I can't tolerate any of it. You can't watch the Weather Channel without politics. You can't watch the sports channel without politics. Well, hear me today. Are you sick? Are you just sick of the bitterness and hatred? The vitriol? Of just, everybody's mad. Y'all good with it? Our kids hear it every day. They're being brainwashed and programmed into understanding what the world is saying the facts are when that's not what the facts really are. Have you ever wondered, listen, have you ever wondered how some people can do what they do? Are you fed up with the attacks on our family, our faith, and even our Savior? Would you agree that something needs to be done? You would? Well, have you ever thought, why doesn't someone do something? Why don't somebody do something? You know, we see heroes in the storms where they would take their boats and drive 18 hours to go to a place just to try to rescue someone. Do you see the rescues in Mexico City in the earthquakes, dogs going in and finding them and them digging them out? People during the hurricanes who went into places and risked life and limb. One officer in Texas gave his life, his wife begging him, don't go. And paid the ultimate sacrifice to go to try to rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Maybe we're just not asking the right questions. Maybe it's, what if that someone is me? What am I doing about it? I'm going to tell you something. We hear enough complaining. It's time for some doing. 
So I'm young, I'm old, I'm retired now, I'm this, I'm that. Enough with the excuses. Nehemiah didn't care about excuses. He cared absolutely nothing. Look in Nehemiah chapter 1. This is an odd title, but it's a question. How can I change my world? How can I change my world? The world that Nehemiah lived in had become destitute for him and his people. The great city of Jerusalem, that city of peace, had become a place of war. So much so that the temple was destroyed and the walls came tumbling down. And so, in chapter 1, verse 4, And it came to pass, Jeremiah said, When I heard these words, what words? That the remnant that are left of the captivity that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. He said in verse 3, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can I tell you, if we're going to change our world, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. Coach, you don't win championships by just showing up. It takes hard work, don't it, coaches? You got a new team, you're trying to buy, get them to buy into that. That's what we tell them, don't we? You need to buy in. You need to work hard. Don't y'all hear that every week? We need leaders. We need people who's going to give it all. Well, look what Nehemiah said. He said, it's going to take hard work. He said, first of all, I sat down and wept. Do we care that much? When's the last time you shed a tear for the vast lostness of this world? When's the last time that sin didn't just make you mad, it broke your heart? We talk about the storms of life. We talk about the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the mudslides. But you know, every day, regardless of all that, about, I don't know, 7,000 people die, something like that. Before this service is over, Roughly, I don't know, 35 will die. I mean, just gone. Gone. Not just in these dramatic fashions. Do you know that it wasn't because of the hurricane, but because of the lack of effort to prepare well in that one nursing home? The the number has now climbed to 11, I believe, that died through that. Can you imagine living all the way to old age to where you needed a nursing home and then die? In a flood, in a hurricane. People are dying and going out into eternity. Let me ask you this question. What makes you pray? He said, I wept. He said, I mourned. It broke me. And then I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. If I'm going to ask myself, how can I change the world? Well, let me ask you a few questions first. What makes you pray? What makes you pray? A new car? 
getting an A on the test, getting that other job, getting a tax refund, winning the ball game. Is that what we pray about? That's not what Nehemiah was much worried about. Nehemiah prayed about physical needs. He said in verse 2 and 3, what he had prayed about was what I just told you. They were in captiv- captivity. They, the, the whole province was in great affliction and reproach. And the whole city was broken down. He prayed about physical needs. It's not wrong to pray. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen? We need physical Protection. We need physical help. We all go through physicalities and issues of life. And we pray about it, and that's good. We pray, God, I, I, I need help with a vehicle. I need help with a car. I need help with a, 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 something with a house. And we just went through the storm and was without power. I thought, what are we going to do? You know, we got two... Two chest freezers and a refrigerator. And, you know, Bex said, I just went to Sam's. What are we going to do? And Edward called and he said, Hey, I got power back. I'm on the same line as the hospital. Thank the Lord. And he started off with that bragging business. I'm on with the hospital. I got power. He said, So I don't need my generator. Come get it. God provided that physical need. And for the next three and a half days, it ran nonstop. And it kept all that stuff from ruining. Listen, Nehemiah prayed for physical needs. He prayed about the walls being torn down. We need to be praying about the physical needs of our country. We need to pray about the physical needs of our city. We need to pray about the physical needs of our schools, our children, our homes, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our children, everyone. We need to pray about physical needs. People text me all the time, Pastor, will you pray with me about this? Will you pray, I'm going to be on the road. Well, that's a physical need, isn't it? We think, ah, Pray for traveling mercies. You ever, what is that? Traveling mercies. So I don't know. I just heard it growing up. Let me tell you what traveling mercies is. Traveling mercies is when you blow out a tire at 70 miles an hour and a 16-year-old stops to help you. You say, I wouldn't want my 16. So you wouldn't want your 16-year-old to be obedient. To be used of God. Now I get that. I understand what you're saying in premise, but listen, that's who helped my wife and Dina last Sunday. It was a 16-year-old Cole. Cole, I hope you see this one day. If it records and it makes it online. And then, of all people, an insurance adjuster from Arkansas. He was going to help and write checks to help people out in South Georgia and Florida through the hurricane. Saw this young man, saw Becky and Dean on the side of the road, tire blew out, dog screaming in the car, blah, blah, blah. Everything underneath the car tore out. He stops too. They finally, and I don't know if you realize this, but it takes seven PhDs 
and three years on the job training at NASA to remove the spare tire on a new Yukon vehicle. I'm telling you. If you don't want a thief to ever get anything, put it up on top inside the spare tire on that vehicle. They'll never get it. Cole, literally, he said, I'm YouTubing it. See if I, you know what? I was acting like I, I was doing the same thing. I was on the phone with them, with him, and I'm YouTubing it too. Because I, I said, there's a little black box. They said, there is no black box. Well, look, you got to pop out this little hidden square. And then, you know, everybody knows where that square is. And everybody wants to steal that tire. So there is a lock. Before you can even put the tool in it to let it down. Yeah, and then it locks up. You've got to turn it and twist it. And... That's what traveling mercies are. And, and here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Listen. So it took both of them to get that tire off. Both of them stopped. Didn't know each other. Both of them stopped. Got it down. Can you imagine with Dana in their ear at the same time? On one side and my wife on the other. And they put the tire on there and it's flat. And the claims adjuster from Arkansas had an air compressor in his truck. And an hour and a half later, they were at home. That's what traveling mercies are. Where the car doesn't spin wildly out into the ditch and kill everybody involved or wreck someone else. Because, listen, the entire steel tread come off the outside and then split. I mean, it, if you've ever watched a NASCAR race when they blow a tire and hit the wall, that's what happened. It tore the ABS brakes off of it. I mean, it, uh, it just... Like a bomb went off is exactly what happened. That's traveling mercies. I'm telling you something. Listen, you will not realize until you get to glory how many wrecks God protected you from. You don't even know. Just a split second if you left home. We've all said that if you're my age. Man, what would have happened if I'd have left five minutes earlier? What if I'd have left five minutes later? Rex on 16. What if I'd went here instead of that way? What if I'd have done this instead of I'd done that? What makes you pray? It ought to be physical needs, but then family matters. He said in verse 6, Let your ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, O Lord, that thou mayest hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Day and night, for the children. Lord, I pray, dear God, will your ears be open and your eyes seeing. My constant prayer for the children. The children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. For we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. What makes you pray? You pray about family matters? Do you wait till they locked up to pray, or are you going to pray for them now? 
Oh, but my child, my child is wonderful. My child never does anything. I'm going to tell you something. Your child was born in the same nasty, vile, wretched sin that everybody else was. And they may hit all the home runs and do the highest jumps and splits and cheerleading. They may win every pageant and every ball game and get every scholarship there is known to mankind and die and go to hell. We pray, oh God, I hope they win the ball game. Oh, Susie will be so sad. She'll, she, she'll just... Uh, she'll be traumatized. He just won't know. Bully, bully. I'm going to tell you who's a bully. Satan's a bully. Satan's a bully. Satan hates your children more than anybody else. Satan hates them more than the musicians. Satan hates them more than Hollywood. That's why he does all of that. He hates you. He hates your kids. Stop. Laying your children in the hands of Molech at the altar of popularity and let them die and go to hell. Get on your face and pray for the children. And if you get caught up praying for your children, pray for mine. If you get caught up with that, pray for my mama's children. Because I got news for you. My mama's children needs it more than any of them. I'm not being funny. I'm going to tell you this morning, we need to get back to a place of prayer where family matters are prayed over. And listen, daddies, daddies, it's time your children hear you pray over the food and hear you pray over them. Not just mama going in there because you're too manly and too important and too busy. Your children need to hear their father Call their name out before a holy God. They need to see you walk this aisle and put your arm around your wife or over them or around another man in this church. You want these young men to grow up and be godly? Then they ought to see godly men. That cares to pray about family matters. Pray about spiritual matters. Oh Lord, verse 11, I beseech thee, let now... Thine ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of thy servant. So he said, I'm not the only one praying. Can I tell you something? And I hope this is an encouragement to you. You are not the Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't the Lone Ranger. You ever notice that? Yeah. I mean, come on. Dude, you know. If I'm Tonto, I'm like, dude, lose the whole loan. I understand I'm not a Texas Ranger, but you're not by yourself. I go everywhere you go. Right? Man, I grew up watching it. I loved it. You're not the Lone Ranger. You know what? Elijah, oh God, there's nobody like me. He was so humble. God, what are you going to do with just me? He said, I got 7,000 more just like you, Elijah. I may not write books about them. I may not call them home in a whirlwind. But I got 7,000 more. When you say, oh, nobody does it like we do. Nobody loves Jesus like we Listen. There's godly people preaching the gospel all over the world. 
They are. There's godly teenagers doing it right. They just are. There's godly teachers, godly judges. Listen, every pastor's not Joel Osteen. Thank God. Some of the greatest pastors I've ever sat under, some of the greatest preachers couldn't hardly read, but they taught themselves to read from the blessed Word of God. They couldn't read a newspaper or a sports illustrator. They can read the Word of God. They don't have master's degrees and daughter degrees, but what they do have is a prayer life. And they get on their face and they beseech God on behalf of spiritual issues. He said, Oh God, be attentive to our prayer. And the prayer of your servants who desire, we desire to fear your name and to prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Do spiritual issues make you pray? I'm not talking about we'll pack the house on high attendance day. I'm talking about that people will. Give their life to Jesus Christ. And this will not just be another religious exercise. I am convinced when we get to heaven, God's not going to say, well done. Well done, man. Y'all had the most orderly service. And the music was perfectly on key. Your message was, was, was outlined just right. You had a great introduction, a wonderful illustration, and your peroration is without question. Oh, I love the way you laid out the sanctuary and how the seats were and the sound equipment was working just right and, and, and the proportion of the flowers and the speakers and the instruments. Oh, Child of God, you did so well. And you kept it limited to a certain amount of time, so you kept everyone pleased. I think spiritual issues is what's going to matter. What are you? What say you? Whether people were changed, lives were, were changed, people were sinners were saved, Christians were dedicated. Listen, what makes you pray? Well, what drives your passion? We say, oh, my passion's this. My passion's cars. My, my passion's ball. My passion's shopping. My passion's reading. My passion is this and this and this. Nehemiah 2, 12 says, and I rose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man with my, what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. He kept it real simple, didn't he? He didn't go around complaining and whining. He said, didn't nobody know what was in my heart. You know, sometimes you just need to care it before the Lord. Stop telling everybody. Stop asking everybody what they think. Just ask God. Well, the older I get, the quieter I get. That's the truth. Because I have learned, I have some wonderful friends and wonderful family, but only one can give me the right answers every time. What drives your passion? Well, Nehemiah said here in verse 4, look, then the king said, for what do you make request 
So I prayed to the God of heaven. His passion was a relationship with God. The king asked him, but before he opened his mouth, he prayed to God. His passion was a real relationship. When you come back tonight, if you come back tonight, and you come to a men's class, a women's class, you come to choir, is it because you want a closer relationship with the Lord? If not, then don't waste your time. That's why we went from 180 last week to 140 this week. 146. Because, listen, our passion isn't our relationship with the Lord. Our passion is getting along and having, having all of our friends. And, and we put fellowship ahead of worship. Oh, we need to have more fellowship. I'm going to tell you, we'll have plenty of fellowship if we worship more. And it's not that we want to have every night of the week. Listen, I went to revival this week. See, that's the thing. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Churches used to have this thing called a revival. And they would have church services even on a Monday. I know, isn't that strange? On Monday. You know what? They had it on Tuesday too. I heard they had it on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Have they lost their mind? But people came. People prayed. Because their passion was a relationship with God. It's a renovation of God's people. Is that our passion? Do we really want? Listen, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, deacons, pastor, pastors. Is our passion the renovation of God's people? He said in verse 17 and 18. I said unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, come let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. They, the world has laughed the church to scorn. They said, oh, what are y'all going to do? You're going to build up, you're going to do this, we will destroy you. Much like Tobiah said in here, much like uh, Sanballat told him, he said, oh, you can build them walls, but if a fox runs on them, they'll fall down. The world stands and mocks. Listen, we don't have to stand toe-to-toe and, and get in a yelling match. All we've got to do is encourage one another. Let's build. Let's build one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray together. Let's fellowship together. Let's minister together. We must have a passion For the renovation of God's people. He said in verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me. God ever done anything good for you? You ever told anybody that? When's the last time you were so impressed that you said, Pastor, I want to tell the church what God's done for me. I want to say, church... You need to understand how God delivered me. He said, I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Listen, what drives your passion? 
Is it a relationship with God? Is it the renovation of God's people? Or is it just the reproach of God's plan? The world is trying to destroy God's purpose for our life. But make no mistake, the church will not be destroyed. It will be raptured, but it will not be destroyed. He said, these two guys I just mentioned and Geshem, the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? They've said God doesn't exist. They said that it all just happened through evolution, that the things just blew up, and here we are. It's like a thing I read this week. Since 1800-something, Florida has faced 150 hurricanes. And Hurricane Irma is the first one they think that climate change or a president caused. Well, you know, if Bush could cause Katrina, Trump could cause Irma. That's that Lawrence girl. You know, Miss Era Shooter from the Hunger Games? That's what she said. I've got news for you. This world is not our home. But for the lost, it is their home. And so they hate us having any impact at all. And it's not going to be climate change that brings it down. It's not going to be all the other things that the world says is and was and will be. It is God. It was God when it started. It'll be God when it's over. And it'll be God forevermore. Amen? And that's my God. And I praise your God. And our passion ought to be that we stand against the reproach the world tries to bring. Let me ask you, what gives you purpose? Remember, this all started with all of us saying we're tired of the world. We're tired of the way things are. And we want to see it changed. What gives you purpose? Why do you get up in the morning? Well, I got to go to work. Somebody's got to eat. You know, my family likes to eat. Well, I get that. That's me too. But what's behind all that? It's not just in that because, listen, after a while, that's not enough. It's just not enough. So what gives us purpose? He said in chapter 4, verse 6, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Was it the wall that was so important? No, it was God's wall for God's people in God's city. See, the purpose is in our life. What gives us purpose is God's calling on your life. It's easy to look at me. I'm standing up here in a suit, pat, and they people call me pastor, and my name's on a sign on a business card, and everybody, it's in the newspaper, pastor, Dr. Matt C. Brady. Well, you know, it's easy. Okay, your calling is pastor. But God's got just as equal a calling on your life. This church would be sad if I was the only one called anything. Aren't you glad all of them have a calling? I mean, as good as they are, it's hard for me to mess up in in 45 minutes how good they make it. From, I mean, 
Aren't you glad we've got sound and lights? And Y'all don't even understand some of the stuff that the deacons tend to on a daily basis and weekly and monthly basis. And our building grounds tend to things that you don't have to worry about. I'm so thankful. I love to walk by those Sunday, especially the children's Sunday school classes. Who was the one that had them all rousted up this morning on my hallway? You wasn't down there, was you? You above me. Ferris, he has them march like Indians over my head. But there was some down the hall this morning. They were shouting hallelujah. I don't know what all that was about. But at first I was like, are they, oh Lord, we got one screaming. No, they was gleefully rejoicing in something. I don't know. That's what I, I like to walk by, knock on it, wave at them, make funny faces, get them stirred up, walk off. I love to do that. But you see that nursery over there that we so desperately need people to volunteer help? Don't complain. Hear me now. Well, I just need to sit in church. I need, I'm not going over there and sit in that nursery. Well, fine, don't. Don't complain when you wonder where they're at in 10 years, 15 years. Don't complain now. Well, I just don't think the church... That, man, use what God has given you. That ought to be our purpose, not in our natural abilities. Some people in this room can speak to anybody at any time about anything, but never possibly tell anybody about Jesus. Use what God gives you. Use what God gives you. God calls you, God equips you, and it'll be only God that completes you. Amen. That, you know, we've used this so many times in so many ways. The stupid Tom Cruise line, you complete me. Oh, how cheesy. Please, really? What do you expect from a Scientologist that believes that we come from aliens? Was well, just a movie preacher. I know, but that little short pip squeak. I mean, really? Come on. Mission Impossible. I mean, I'm even really having a hard time imagining he was ever maverick to start with. I mean, come on. He's like 5'2". You know, they put him up. He had to sit in a booster chair in that fighter jet. I mean, I'm convinced of it. You complete me. I'm going to tell you, the only thing that's going to complete you is Jesus. And you keep looking. You keep trying to find it. You keep trying to change friends. You keep trying to change hobbies. You change jobs. You change churches. It's a revolving door. We don't like it here. We go somewhere else. We don't like it there. We go somewhere else. Uh, the only thing that's going to complete you is a man named Jesus. That's it. It's only happiness you're ever going to find. You can run, you can run, you can run, you can run, run, run. I've run that race. And I'm going to tell you, you just, it's running in quicksand. Speaking of running, what gives you perseverance? Preacher, I'm just tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired. Listen, my parents reject everything I say about the Lord. I have a, I have a sibling that really don't want to hear anything I have to say about the Lord. 
and, and we just have to walk on eggshells. Preacher, every time I get around my friends, they all want to bash Christianity and bash the church. Lord, some of my friends' family used to come to Eastside, and they talk bad about the church, and they talk. How do we persevere? He said in verse 7, chapter 4, but it came to pass that when Sambalay and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very rough. They were, they were hot now. They were mad. And they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Now listen to verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Do you find a common occurrence, a common theme through all this? And I prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and I prayed, and prayer was made. What gives you perseverance? How do you get up? Some people's told me, preacher, I've asked people now. I've asked people that's got every kind of health problem you could ever imagine. They've lost loved ones. They've lost jobs. They've got every kind of problem you could ever imagine. You ever looked at someone who is faithful and serving God and think, God, how much more can they take? I've literally talked to them and said, how do you do it? How in the world? I said, I just rely on God every day, every step. And forever bread. Are you relying on God or self? You're relying on your talent, your looks, your money, or are you relying on God? It's a reassurance from God. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And here's the deal whether we have revivals or Bible studies or fall festivals or whatever, the results are His. If we do what God's called us to do, we operate in the calling God has given us. We pray fervently that God's will be done. Then let God be God and the results are His. I'm going to tell you, it'll get rid of depression when things don't work out the way you thought they should. The results are God. So what can happen? What can happen when we pray? What happens when our passion is the Lord? What happens when we understand our purpose? God has us here for such a time as this. What happens if we fight the good fight even when we don't feel like it? Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20th, 20 and 5th day of the month Elul. In 52 Days. They didn't have the same building codes as we did. And inspectors and framers. 52 days. One time my brother and I, when we were building houses, we built a custom 2,600 square foot house for a man and his wife, from the day we dug the footings in a torrential downpour on Thanksgiving morning. We dug the footings, set the batter boards, until the day we handed them the keys 
and they walked in was 83 days. Every possible thing on that job went right. There was never a day, Scott, you understand this as good as anybody. There was never a day that a subcontractor said, I'm not going to make it today. Matter of fact, there were some said, if you can take me, I'll be here early. The only thing that even halfway got sideways is HVAC guy was venting out something through the roof, slid off the roof. But he landed on some cardboard boxes and he didn't get messed up too bad. Problem is, didn't hurt our timeline. 83 days. 83 days is unheard of for that kind of house and what we did. Custom, I'm talking about custom everything. Brick fireplace, it wasn't one of these insert things. Custom masonry fireplace, custom cabinets, custom driveway, custom everything. 83 days. They built the walls around the city of Jerusalem in 30 days, in a month less than that. We talk about all oh, the pyramids. Pyramids don't compare. This is, to me, the greatest building feat ever known to mankind. Why? Because they had a mind to work. You see, they went from ruin to revival. First of all, they prayed. When we get revived in our heart, great things are in store. And when we're revived, there'll be a restoration. They lined up. If I may paraphrase, if I may use my spiritual leave here for just a moment, I don't think it's mockery to say it, but imagine if it was today and we needed this. The scripture read like this. And the Toodles, Mike with his wife Michelle and his children and their uh, uh, spouses and children, they worked on this part of the wall. And beside them were the Smiths, Steve and Kim and their children uh, uh, and their family, and they worked on the wall here. And next to them were the Bradys, and the Bradys were known for building gates. And so the Bradys, uh, uh, Matt and his wife and his children, worked on the gates there. And on the other side of that gate were the Williams, Philip and Bronwyn and their children, and they worked there. And beside them was Jerry and Bridget Wiggins. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And it never comes to a part in the wall where it says, Oh, this family was supposed to do this, but they really were tired, and so they didn't go. They were gone. They had an extended trip. They went on a cruise. No, it said that they all were side by side, arm in arm. This is the part that I love, and I, it's not even in the notes, but it's my favorite imagery. It said they had a trowel. A trowel is that weird-looking little hand thing that you take, and a really good mason, man, I love to watch a good mason with a, a brick trowel. Man, he cut that stuff pop it off, slap off the extra, just like he's icing a cake, throw it down, shave it off, smooth it down, bump it in, knock it in level, and go to the next one. And it's just like this. Boom, 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 boom. They know what they're doing. He said they had a trial in one hand and a weapon or a sword in the other. Now, church, we've been called to build, but we've also been called to fight. We've been called to fight the good fight of faith, to fight for our friends, to fight for our family, to fight for the body of Christ. Not to win, but because we've already won. 
I know that's hard to understand, but Jesus paid the price. But he gave us the sword, and so we ought to use it. But we also should be building a wall together. God's word says, I looked and there was no one. There was no one to make up the hedge and to fill the gap. Let me ask you today, as they come to the instruments, are you willing to step in and lock arms? You know, we did those Mobius strips with Dr. Rickettson and we all joined them together. Today, we need to join back, get back in the fight. Get back in the fight. Get back in the fight. God's giving you a calling. God's giving you purpose. Maybe you should just stop praying. Maybe you just got tired of praying. Maybe everything was just so right. Everything's going so good in your life. You don't feel like you need to pray. You let a grandkid get sick, you'll pray. Uh, any of you watched the Vietnam War documentary with Ken Burns this week on public Good. One guy they were interviewing, it, it, it recorded a letter he wrote home. He wrote to a friend. And he said, when I got here, man, I was living, I was religious, serving the Lord. He said, but I've seen so much death and I've seen things so bad. He said, I'm now an atheist. Until the next firefight starts. That's what he wrote. This was a real letter this guy wrote. At least he was honest. You know what? That sounds like the average Christian. We're practical atheists. We say we believe in God, but in life, when everything's going grand, we act like God never existed. But you let problems get bad. There are no atheists in the foxholes. When the fire begins to fly, will you trust God? Are we going to be Nehemiah? Are we going to be the ones, listen, are we going to be the ones who fight against? Or are we going to be the ones who fight for? I used to have a co-worker, used to tell me all the time, he said, work with me, not against me. Come on now, get in here, work with me, not against me. Are we, God is calling out, are you going to work with me or against me? See, there were those who stood on the outskirts to see what Nehemiah would do. He put it all on the outline when he stood in front of everybody. He climbed up on those walls privately and prayed, but then he went before the people, didn't he? What has God placed in your heart? When's the last time you stepped out in faith and said, God wants to use me? God wants to save someone today. You're lost and you will die and go to hell without Jesus. You've seen the display of the Nehemiahs in your life. There's been those who have prayed. Your mama, your daddy, your teacher, your friend, they've prayed for you. Why not come and give your life to Jesus Christ? He loves you. He'll change your life. You need to be baptized. You need to join at Eastside Baptist Church as a show of faith in Him that you mean to be used of God. What will it take to change the world? Nehemiah gave us the answer, but only you will write it. I will change the world for Jesus. If you're willing to sign that today, then come sign it before the Lord. With your heart and your mouth, stand and come. Come tell the Lord, I will stand.
I will be a world changer. I will pray. 